Let's pray. Father, this is the day the Lord has made. That's always true. Every day is the day that the Lord has made. But this is a day in particular that we know you have been in the making for the last five years. And I guess theologically speaking, since before the creation of the world. And it is breathtaking to realize that we get to be a part. We get to be your water carriers. Like on the day when Jesus turned the water into wine. It seemed like he never touched anything. He had his servants do it, and they were unspeakably blessed to have been his servants. Lord, we are unspeakably blessed to be your servants. Unworthy servants, but your servants chosen by you for your glory. So, Father, use us to glorify your name. In the next five years, in the next 50 years, may you find this church faithful and make us more and more faithful. In the areas where we are weak, Lord, make us strong. In the areas where sin is strong, Lord, make them weak. And fill us with your spirit collectively as a church and as not one church anymore, but three churches, Calvary Bible Church, Living Hope Bible Church, and now Christ Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your kindness to us. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Churches that plant churches must be churches who pray. Approximately 10 years ago, when the elders were trying to figure out how to manage the influx of people who were coming in increasing numbers week after week, we came at last to a very definite conclusion, namely that we would not move the church to a different location. We would not, we would not be going to be, we were not going to build a large building to accommodate the crowd and so make the church unwieldy in size and, and ineffective in shepherding. Rather, we decided that we would make it our ambition not to grow and grow and grow, but to grow until we knew we had enough people to send and the right leadership to send and a place to be sent to, and we would plant churches. Little did we know what the Lord would do, any more than we know what he's going to do next now. I mentioned in my prayer, this is number two, actually it's number three, the first attempt at a church plant was a colossal failure, and we learned so much. But here we are. Just a little history here, five years ago, we hired a young man by the name of Keith Christensen to join our pastoral team and replace Brent Osterberg, whom we had already sent from Calvary to plant a new church. Brent took about 48 people with him, 
And now, five years later, he and Ryan Allen, his fellow elder, are still shepherding Living Hope Bible Church in Mansfield, Texas, about 20 miles southeast of here. And for the past five years since Brent left, Keith has been laboring as a pastor here at Calvary Bible Church, as one of the elders. He was a, a good expositor when he came. He is an excellent preacher and leader now. And I suspect that if we had time, he and Katie could stand up here for the remainder of the hour and probably hours and hours into the night and reveal to us all the ways, or at least many of the ways, that, that God has shown them his goodness, how he has grown them and matured them, how he has shaped and equipped them for church ministry. So while God has been using them to equip us, God has been using you to equip them. Matt and Emily Scheffler have been here even longer, a lot longer, and have been ministering here for, I should have asked before I came up, how many years, Matt? 20 years. And, um, and now it's time for Matt and Emily and for Keith and Katie to do what we said we would do so many years ago. The time has come for them and more than 70 others to fulfill the next step of our mission in this world by leaving, leaving. In fact, today, I'm sad to say this will be their last Sunday here as members of Calvary Bible Church. I wish you could have seen us this morning, the elders, and listening to these men pray. It's wonderful. And I expect that five years from now, when these two couples look back on what God has done in their church and family, they will be able to echo the words of the psalmist who said, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, which I think is more a statement about the goodness of God than it is about the righteousness of his people. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And oh, how good God has been to this church. Their loving father, that is, the Schefflers and the Christensens, their loving father intends to bless them in ways they can hardly imagine as they labor to plant Christ Fellowship Bible Church. They are going to be stretched. There are going to be some very difficult days. There are going to be the heights of spiritual ecstasy as they see God do things they never even thought to ask for or imagine. To be sure, this seems like a less than ideal time to attempt a church plant. The world is experiencing global pandemic, some, in some areas global, well, partial global panic. Our country is burdened with a level of unrest that is virtually unparalleled in our lifetime. Moreover, in terms of national and global economics, there is a level of uncertainty that eclipses anything that we have seen in a generation or more. So why are we planning a church now? Why now? Why are we planning a church out of season? 
Well, let me just answer that briefly by saying that there are many places in the world where planting a church is always out of season. It's just we're used to our comforts. Well, I'm sure we could answer this question by pointing to several practical issues relative to location and facilities and our kids need to start school at a certain time and all of that. But I want to offer an answer that flows out of Scripture. So let me tell you the answer that I want you to hear this morning and then I want to demonstrate how it comes from the Scriptures. So why plant a church now? The answer to that question sounds like this, at least the way I express it. We're launching a new church in the middle of a global crisis because we know who God is and we know how he is glorified. This is the answer to the question. Now, let me show you the biblical basis. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm only going to read two verses. We've already read the context here. I wish I could go back and preach all of that again. I wish I had time to preach these two verses in, in full. And some of you are no doubt going to come away saying, yeah, but you missed this, you missed that. I, I, I know. Just don't send me any letters on that. <laughs> verses 20 and 21. It's, it's ironic that I would start the sermon with the benediction, but here's the benediction, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. And all the people said... I think this text gives us the confidence that we need to plan a church even during uncertain days of pandemic and unrest. It puts a huge rock under our feet as we take the next bold step of faith, and this is a big step of faith. Losing so many of you who have been here for so long is a big step of faith. And even losing Keith and Katie, huge step of faith. Uh, you, just, you just can't imagine how in elder decisions, how much Keith has contributed over the years. And those of you who are a part of the new church, you just, you just need to hear me say this. These two men are worthy leaders, and you would do well to support and follow them. Before we look at the text, however, we should set the stage with a few contextual props. First, we should remember that Jesus made a promise that serves as the foundation of all church planting. He said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, that is, death and the grave, shall not prevail against it. In other words, you can kill this Jesus, but he won't stay dead. You can kill his people. And the Jesus who wouldn't stay dead will still build his church. Not even the gates of Hades can prevail against it. That statement tells us, among other things, that the primary actor and star of the show is not the pastor of any local church or even its people. No, no matter how talented a 
worship team is, no matter how talented a pastor may be, no matter how gifted. When it comes to church planting, the spotlight is always on Jesus. And if the spotlight ever shifts from there, then something has gone wrong. This is his church. He's the one building it. We are simply the servants whose privilege it is to carry the water. Second, we should also note that the book of Ephesians, from which we draw our text this morning, is mostly about the church. It's the church that Jesus is building. There, there's probably nowhere else in the New Testament that talks more about the church than the book of Ephesians. If you read it today, beginning with chapter 1, you will learn some things. You'll learn that this is a church made up of people who were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. A church made up of people who were formerly mortal enemies, namely Jews and Gentiles, who are still mortal enemies. It is a church whose members are united with Christ, that is, they live in inextricable union with the Savior, so that the, the Father, God the Father, never thinks of them individually or collectively without thinking of Christ first. We are bound to him, we are in union with him. And the third contextual prop I want to put here to help us think through this is this. We should, we should observe that toward the end of chapter 4, Paul is praying for his church. We know that because he tells us. In fact, in fact he makes two audacious requests on their behalf. They don't look audacious until you start thinking about what he's really asking for here. He asks, number one, that according to the riches of God's glory, he, God, would make them so spiritually mature that they would be completely at home with Christ, taking up residence in every room of their lives. That's what he means when he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family, this is verse 15, in heaven and on earth is named, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you read the commentators on this and you'll discover what he probably means is that Jesus will be at home in you by faith. And conversely, you will be at home with him there. I wonder, I wonder if there's even one person in Calvary Bible Church who is comfortable with Jesus milling around in every room in your heart. That's what Paul's asking for. And second, he prayed that they would come to know experientially what is unknowable intellectually, namely, the love of Christ, to be filled with the fullness of God in Christ, which he says again in Colossians, to be as full of God as you can possibly be. There is something in the depths of the love of Christ that we will never fully apprehend. And this is a really big prayer 
Because every one of us knows in our hearts how sinful we are. And we know that sin requires discipline, if not judgment. And while we know that Jesus loves me and have been taught from our earliest years, if you grew up in the church, sometimes that's just hard to apprehend. You feel like one who is unlovable. You feel like one who is unacceptable to the beloved, namely Jesus. And Paul is saying, my prayer for you is that you cut through all of that and know something that is ultimately unknowable. That is the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of Christ for you. So those are his prayers. And these are not small prayers. Paul is asking God to bring about radical transformation in their lives in the way they think, in the way they relate to one another, in the way that they relate to God. He's praying big. And my question is then, upon what basis did Paul make these bold requests? Why did he believe that God might answer these prayers? And we discover the answer in Paul's doxology. Verses 20 and 21. Upon what basis did Paul feel justified in asking for these bold requests? Well, first because, number one, <clears throat> Paul knew who God is. Paul knew who God is. Who is God? Well, an exhaustive answer would require a lifetime and then eternity after that to study but in this particular passage, Paul refers to, father, to the Father in a very specific way. Listen to how he describes the Father. And by the way, this would be a great study sometime. Just take your New Testament, <clears throat> go to the letters of Paul, and ask yourself, how does Paul describe God? It might change your heart and maybe your whole life. Here's how Paul describes God in this passage. Listen carefully. He describes him as him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask for or think. Now, one translation says it this way. It is he who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask for or imagine. And Paul is intentionally piling superlative upon superlative, one on top of another. <clears throat> it's as if he can't pile them high enough. Think about it. He, he's just made two audacious requests from God, and then he tells us that to God, these requests are no problem at all. And not even the requests that actually came from your mouth out, out of your heart but anything that you don't even dare to imagine. If it would bring God's glory. Someone once said in my hearing recently that young preachers overestimate what they can accomplish in one year and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. I think for us as a church and as for the other two churches. I think, 
I think part of the thing we need to work on as a healthy church is we need to get in the business of praying big, asking God for things that we think, humanly speaking, it could never happen. I remember when we asked the Lord to bless our intention to plant a church, and here we are on church number two. It was more than we could imagine. Or maybe we could imagine it, we just couldn't believe what we could imagine. Consider the history of Christianity. How could a dead Messiah save the world? From God's perspective, not a problem. God will simply raise him from the dead. Nothing big for God. How would 11 most un mostly uneducated men change the world with a simple message? No problem. God would send his spirit to work through them. What are the chances uh, a man like Saul of Tarsus, the infamous persecutor of the church, would become a man who would almost single-handedly take the gospel he hated to the ends of the known world? He almost did it. No problem. God would do it through him. And God would spare his life again and again and again. Now, that man should have been dead probably 20, 30 times. And think of the greatest obstacle you can imagine to planting a church at any time, any place in history. And God says, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. Why? Listen carefully. Not to that. <laughs> it was thunder a few weeks ago, so we're, we're stepping down. Why is this no problem with God? Here's the answer. He is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask for or imagine. I used to pray in unbelief that my parents would come to know Jesus. I could never imagine it to happen. And he did it. Plug in whatever you think is impossible that you would love to see God do for his glory and make it a bold prayer to God. The prophet Jeremiah declared, Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth and your with your outstretched arm and your great power. Nothing is too difficult for you. To which God responds, about a chapter later, he says, Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? I remember moments as an elder team when Joe and Frank, uh, Shannon were part of the elder board and we would run up against an insurmountable difficulty. And Joe would pray. Joe would say, Lord, this horde is too mighty for us. But our eyes are on you. No wonder Paul was a man of audacious prayer. He believed that God's power is not limited to anything. And so when he prayed, 
He laid down really big requests. For example, Romans 5.15, he asked for the spirit of unity in churches made up of Jews and Gentiles. I mean, what are the chances? And yet that's what he prayed for. Romans 15.30, he prayed that he would be rescued from unbelievers who were trying to kill him. And it looked like, at one point, they looked like they, they actually did. And yet his prayer was answered. Out of the pile of rocks, the man arose. Ephesians 1.15, he prayed that discouraged believers in the early church would be filled with hope. You ever try to help a discouraged person find hope? I tell you, it's, it's, it sometimes feels impossible in Romans 10.1, he actually prays that Israel will be saved. <laughs> Are you kidding? Nothing will be impossible with God. And by the way, Paul knew the scriptures and knew that one day all Israel would be saved. What do we normally pray for? Lord, I got a splinter today and it hurts real bad. Can you take away the pain? Lord, Aunt Susie has a, a cold. We want her to get better. Lord, thank you for the food. It's as good today as it was yesterday. Um, Lord, I'm in conflict with someone. Would you help me? So often our prayers find their orbit around a desire for comfort and ease. Paul hardly ever prayed like that. Listen, beloved, church planning is not easy work. There will be many, many challenges. And we know the teaching of Jesus who said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. How much church planting? None. How much fruit bearing? Zero. Everything Christ Fellowship Bible Church needs is available in Christ. Therefore, we must pray. We need to pray about little things, to be sure, but we need to pr pray big, bold prayers. And frankly, if we aren't willing to pray big, then we might as well just go home. Because, to perhaps use a text out of context, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If anything good happens at Calvary Bible Church to bring the glory, bring God glory, or Living Hope Bible Church, or Christ Fellowship Bible Church, it will be because of the power of the Spirit of God. Therefore, we must pray Hence the title of this sermon, Pray Big or Go Home. Churches that plant churches must be churches who pray. And we need, frankly, just, can I just say this as your pastor? I'm going to anyway. We need to pray more. And can I say something that might step on your toes? I'm going to say it. 
when we have a designated time to pray, you should actually show up. You should come. You should actually set other things aside and pray. It's a travesty that if we call for a prayer time, three people out of 400 show up. And it's discouraging. We need to pray. We must pray. We should delight to pray. We should pray believing. We should pray excited. We should pray imagining what God might do if. Paul knew who God is. He understood that God is able to do far more abundantly beyond anything we could ask for or imagine. So ask. In Jesus' words, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will open. So pray big. He prayed big and so should we. So this is the ground of Paul's prayer. It, it's, it explains why he was willing to pray as he did. Secondly, Paul knew how God is glorified. He not only knew who God is, he knew how God would be glorified. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We could go back to Genesis chapter 1 and see that God created us in his what? Image, which implies that we exist to image forth the glory of God. And then all kinds of scriptures all over the Old and New Testament that make it explicit. We exist to magnify the glory of God. To set his splendor on display for every created being in heaven and on earth to behold. And if you think that's a stretch, just glance back to verses 9 and 10 of this same chapter. Look at verses 9 and 10. Here's what Paul says, and he's talking about cosmic realities here, verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that, here's purpose statement, through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You can just imagine the devil saying, Lord, uh, God, that's the, the church, the plan. It's nonsense. It's foolishness. And it's as if the Lord was saying, watch. You want to see wisdom? You will see wisdom when you see what I do in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. You see, beloved, the primary vehicle through which God is glorified by his people is the church. Can I just tell you something that so many of you know, maybe if you're new around here, you may not, and that is uh, your Christian life isn't primarily about you and Jesus. It is about you and Jesus, but it's really about you and Jesus in the context of the local church. The people whom he purchased with his blood should be, in one sense, are a part of his body, but need to find their place in a local body. Notice what Paul says in 20b, 
second half of 20. Well, we'll just read the beginning of verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask for or think, according to the power at work within us. And there is so much here we could consider, but the main thing I want you to see is that God intends to glorify himself through the church. And the church is God's most precious possession. He is more committed to building it than we could ever be committed to building it. And the power by which he accomplishes his divine plan for the church is the power that works within us. It is the power that he exudes and, and energizes through his people. Listen, the church can't be built without God. But God will not build the church without us. He uses us. He empowers us. We speak as speaking the words of God. How will they be saved unless someone preaches, someone delivers the message? We get the opportunity to deliver the message. The power that saved us brought us into the church, the power that sanctifies us as members of the church is the same power that will be at work in us to accomplish the expansion and the spiritual growth of the church. And it will be the power of God as he pours it out through his people, by his word. I don't know about you, but I find that amazing. God chooses to use us for divine purposes, eternal purposes. If you're walking with the shepherd, if you're living for him and intentionally following him. And so if your goal is to glorify God by building his church, then God will share his power with you. I think I told you the story one day I was teaching here at Worldview, and I was, uh, you never know what God is doing when you speak. Remember that time God used Balaam's donkey to deliver the message? I mean, I feel like the donkey sometimes. <laughs> and we were in the middle of a discussion on whatever part of Worldview we were in, and we were talking about soteriology, salvation, how people are saved, who does what in salvation. And I said, um, I said, I said, let's, let, me, let, me just, let me just pick a person here for, for sake of illustration. And I pointed to um, Alex Long, who many of you have not known, but he's the oldest child of the Long family, I think. Eldest, there's a lot of kids in the Long family. And, um, and I said, let's, let's just think about Alex Long for just a minute. If I, if I had led Alex Long to Christ, dot, 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 and then I went on, and I kept going with my lecture, and he raised his hand. And, uh, and I thought for a second, bro, I'm, I'm on a roll here. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said Alex, uh, uh, what's on your mind? And he said, you did. And I said, speak in sentences, you know. <laughs> what did I do? And he said, you led me to Christ. And I said, When? And he said, one day I was sitting in church and you were preaching. And God changed my heart. I didn't even know. I mean, it's not like when God is, 
empowering you to accomplish his mission that you even know it's happening at the time. You don't feel anything. It's just God is at work. If you think God is not able to plant a church in the middle of a global crisis, your God is too small. For our part, we will boldly ask God to plant a church during a global crisis because we know who he is. And we know how he is glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment in our church's history. This is a good, good work, and you have done it. And you are doing it again. Father, we bless your name and we praise you. We feel our unworthiness, and it makes us just delight in your mercy and loving kindness all the more. I praise you and I give you thanks for these men and women who are taking the risk and stepping away from the comfort and diving into the fray of the battle. Lord, protect them, guard them, empower them, make them bold in prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.